Kindly uh, open your Bible to the Gospel reading that will be just right to us. Gospel reading, Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36, which can be found on page 1032 and 1033 of the Church Bible. And also, if you turn to your church bulletin in the middle page, you can see the outline of the sermon today. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36, page 1032 and 1033. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we take a pause from the Daniel to look at the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you help us to understand this transfiguration and help me to preach your word faithfully with clarity, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear friends, before I go deeper into our text today, I would like to ask two questions for you all to ponder. First, who is Jesus Christ? First question is, who is Jesus Christ? Second, if you know who Jesus Christ is, how would you respond to him and his word? No need to answer me, but think back. Who is Jesus Christ? And the second question is, if you know who Jesus Christ is, how would you respond to him and his word? And friends, I want you all to imagine that you are watching a mystery movie. From the beginning, there is someone saving the whole world. But the director never reveals who is the hero. While the movie is going on, there's a lot of characters come in. And one of them, let's say Mr. A, act and respond and saying things look so weird. He might project himself as the villain of the story. However, at the end of the movie, the director revealed that this Mr. A, who has been acting in weird ways and has been seeing, uh, saying weird things, is the hero of, who saved the world. Now, if you watch the movie again, your perspective of Mr. A would change because the real nature of Mr. A has been revealed to you and his word and his action would have a new meaning to you. In light of the revelation, we have a different perspective and a different understanding of Mr. A now. And friends, in the gospel passage we read today, we can see that it talks about the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. However, before the transfiguration took place, the disciple might have wondered why the Christ of God, as Peter confessed in verse 20, is talking about suffering be rejected and killed, and on the third day, be raised again. Furthermore, Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he come in his, his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The disciple might wonder why this man seems talking nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. If he is the Christ of God, whom they think will save them from the Roman Empire, why must he die? Why must he suffer? Why must he go through this? He's the king. Everything looks and sounds so weird to the disciples. However, in the light of the transfiguration, everything will be revealed to them. Who is Jesus Christ? What he has come to do? And what should be the response to him? 
Let us look together at the text as we ponder the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, Luke opened the passage in verse 28, saying, Now, about eight days after this saying, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. Now, after, about eight days after Peter's confession, after Jesus foretold his dead and the command to keep, take up the cross and follow him, from verse 18, we can see Jesus took Peter and James and John and went together to the mountain to pray. Friends, if you know, mountain is very significant in the whole Bible. At key times, God has appeared to man on a mountain. One example that is closely related to the transfiguration is when Moses saw the back of God at the top of Mount Sinai. But in addition, the Gospel of Luke is unique in its setting. For whenever Jesus prays, something significant usually follows. For example, you can see in chapter 3, after Jesus prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And something seemed going to happen here. But what is that? Look at verse 29. And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Friends, the appearance of Jesus Christ changed. His face became glorious. Even though it's not mentioned in this verse, later we can see that Peter too saw the glory. This is something similar to what happened to Moses in the Old Testament when he saw God's back. His face was shining. However, there is a tremendous difference between Jesus and Moses here. What is the difference? When Moses saw God's back, only his face was shining. But here we can see even the garment of Jesus Christ become dazzling white. This shows that Jesus' glory was much greater than his garment to become extremely white. Friends, Jesus' glory is revealed and he been transfigured. But later, when you look in verse 30 and 31, we can see a vision that took place. This vision holds a tremendous significance to the whole transfiguration process. Look at verse 30 and verse 31, the first part. And behold, two men were talking to him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. After Jesus was transfigured, two men who appeared in glory now talking to Jesus. In all other three synoptic gospels, their names are recorded, both Moses and Elijah. Friends, if you know, Moses died nearly 1,500 years before Jesus. And Elijah, he had been taken up about 900 years before Jesus. Yet, these two peoples are seen alive. Not only alive, but appearing in glory. J.C. Ryle wrote something very powerful regarding this appearance in his book. He wrote, Let us take comfort in the blessed thought that there is a resurrection and a life to come. All is not over when the last breath is drawn. There is another world beyond the grave. Friends, take courage actually. That whoever believes in Christ is not lost, but they just have gone before us to God's kingdom. However, there's another question here. Why must it be Moses and Elijah, not any other people from the Old Testament? 
They are the true two greatest figures in the Old Testament. Moses, in one hand, delivered the Israelites out of the slavery of Egyptian, and a man who was known as a great lawgiver in the Old Testament, as well as a prophet. He also said in the book of Exodus that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. You must listen to him. And then, on the other hand, there's Elijah, the greatest prophet who came after Moses up to that point. But now, together, they point to the hour of fulfillment of all that Old Testament foreshadowed. The greatest of them, Jesus is there with them. In addition, in the same verse, Luke recorded that what these both men had spoken to Jesus. Look at verse 31, the second part. And spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Both Moses and Elijah appeared and showed Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. What else more can there be? Friends, even though it looks like the ultimate triumph of Jesus' ministry already, there is something great waiting for him at Jerusalem. Both Moses and Elijah spoke to Jesus of his departure. If you look at the footnote of your Bible, it says Greek exodus. It's a very familiar word for those who read their Bible regularly. In other words, Jesus was about to accomplish his departure or exodus in Jerusalem. But what does that mean? Remember who's speaking to Jesus? It is Moses and Elijah. Think back of the first exodus in the Old Testament. Moses is the leader who led the Israelites out of Egypt. What was the situation back then? The Israelites, under the bondage, under the oppression of the Pharaoh, they've been forced to do heavy works. They were crying, anguish, hoping for someone to save them. And at that point of time, God raised Moses to lead the people out of slavery. And now, Jesus is going to do something similar. He's going to save the humankind from the slavery of sin. He's going to offer himself once for all as the perfect sacrifice so that whoever believes in him will be saved and will be gathered together in God's kingdom. But yet, friend, do you remember there were three people who went up to the mountain with Jesus? They were Peter, James, and John. But what they were doing when these things took place? Look at verse 32. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavily with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Sleeping disciple. Not sleeping beauty, but sleeping disciple. Maybe the title suits them well, but giving them the benefit of doubt. We can say they were tired physically after climbing the mountain. And because they were sleeping, they missed one important event that took place. But however, now they are awake. They see Jesus' glory and they see Moses and Elijah are there as well. Then, Moses and Elijah were about to depart from Jesus. Peter said to Jesus in verse 33, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, 
one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Peter, not knowing what he said, is making a proposal to Jesus that he and the, and the other two disciples would make three ten. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But why is it so? He actually is giving an equal honor to all these three. But the weird thing here is, actually Peter is the one who is saying this. Look at verse 18, and verse 20, verse 18 to verse 20 of Luke chapter 9. When Jesus asked the disciple what the crowd says about him, the disciple had said, some answered Elijah, some said John the Baptist, and some said prophet of old. But when Jesus asked the disciple, only Peter opened his mouth and answered the Christ of God. Do Peter know who Christ is? We could assume that Peter really knows who Christ is based on his answer at that point of time. However, in the text today, we can see actually he does not know who Christ really is. And so he's giving an equal honor to Jesus, Moses, and Elijah as though they're equal. However, in verse 34, we can see that a cloud suddenly appeared and overshadowed them. But what is so significant of the appearance of the cloud? Back in the Old Testament, it always represents God's presence. And the cloud now is the answer to the mistake that Peter just had made. There is no tent needed for anyone, as now God wraps Jesus, Elijah, and Moses with his glory and his presence. And friends, we can see the disciple has the normal human being feeling when they encounter God's presence. They were afraid. And then in verse 35, we can see that a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Friends, this phrase has two different parts to it, answering two questions that I asked you all earlier. First, this is my son, my chosen one. Friends, do you remember I mentioned earlier Peter's confession of who Jesus is? He confessed Jesus is Christ of God, even though he does not really know who Christ is. But here, now, God endorses it. God who appeared to them in clouds said to them that this is my son, my chosen one. Or, oh, in the footnote of your Bible, it says, my beloved. This is the identity of Jesus. He is the son of God, the one whom God has chosen and loved. The identity of Christ is revealed for the second time after his baptism. But for the very first time to the disciples, mainly Peter, John, and James. And the second thing, listen to him. Dear friends, about eight days earlier, Jesus was saying many things to the disciples that they did not want to hear. Jesus was telling to them about his suffering, about his death, and about his resurrection. On top of that, he was telling them that they need to take up the cross and follow him. And he says, some must lose their life for Christ's sake. And also, in verse 26, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed. When he comes in his glory 
and the glory of Father and of the holy angels. So whatever Jesus was telling is 100% truth. And God showed the glimpse of this glory of Jesus. Also the glimpse of the glory of God the Father at the transfiguration with the appearance of the cloud. And told the disciples to listen to whatever Jesus is telling to them. The voice from God does not only identify who Jesus is, but also confirms the role of Jesus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And also showing how the disciples should respond to Jesus and his word. In turn, how we should respond to my friends, in addition, in verse 36, we can see that when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Why Jesus was found alone? This brings out the point that now both Moses and Elijah had finished their work. They are no more needed as Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is greater than this representative of both law and prophet, is there. And then, Luke concludes the passage by writing, And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. The disciples did not tell of what took place only for a short time. That's why it says, in those days. But we can see in the later part of the epistle that disciples eventually did proclaim what did Jesus accomplish. And they proclaim it to the whole nation, to the whole world. So friends, what we can learn from this event? I just want to point out three important applications for us to take back home so that we can reflect on it and also act upon it. First, listen to Jesus Christ. Do we really listen to the words of Jesus? Do we really look Jesus as our the author of our salvation, or as someone who provides us with prosperity? Listen to him, of what he said about himself. Do not portray Jesus as someone that he is not, but let us hear the truth when he is proclaimed to us in his word by the faithful sermon. And let us listen to him, particularly by reading the Bible faithfully and systematically as well. And friends, remember, Jesus is our only hope for our eternal life. And so we only need to listen to Jesus and His Word, not to the world, not to the worldly people and their teaching. Remember, He is the Son of God, whom God has chosen. He is the Son of God, whom God has loved. Listen to Him alone. Second, trust in Jesus Christ. Knowing that He is the Son of God, I would like to encourage you to put your faith in Christ Jesus. Trust in Him alone. He accomplished the great thing that He had to do in Jerusalem. He gave up His life as the one perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sin. He saved us from the bondage of sin by giving up His own life so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And friends, he, our Savior is not dead. On the third day, He will be raised again. And friends, if you're someone who has not put your trust in Jesus, 
take this as a call to trust and put your faith in Him. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than anyone else because He is the Son of God whom God has chosen, whom God has loved. And if you want to know more in depth of why we should believe and to know what we believe, I would like to encourage you all to sign up for our cathedral camp, you know, where we would learn more in depth of our faith. And third, proclaim what Jesus accomplished in Jerusalem. Finally, yet importantly, proclaim what Jesus has accomplished in Jerusalem to as many people as you can, even though the disciples did not tell what they have seen in those days. Yet, after they saw what Jesus accomplished on the cross, they proclaimed Christ to the whole nation, to the whole world. One example it in the epistle reading today, we can see where Peter preached of Christ's glory. So let us be sure to do the same as we speak of Jesus and his promise of salvation to those around us, that they too might be safe and be gathered together as God's people in his kingdom. Let us pray. Please join with me with the collect of our transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ, which can be found on page 8 of the service order. Eh, not the service order, sorry, the church bulletin. Page 8 of the church bulletin. Join together with me for the collect for the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. Together. Almighty Father, whose Son was revealed in majesty before he suffered death upon the cross, give us faith to perceive his glory, that we may strength to suffer with him and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory, who is alive and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.